So we get back from a mission trip and we're able to stand up here and share that with you guys. But I wanna tell you this morning that God is inviting every single person in this room to be a part of something big, to be a, be a part of his mission. The question though that we wanna ask this morning is when God calls you into his mission, when he invites you into that, what is your response gonna be? Because as a believer, you are invited into his mission. It feels really good to be a part of something, doesn't it? I mean, uh, maybe someone calls you up on the phone and they're like, hey, um, I got an extra ticket to the game or to the concert, or um, you know, there's a party invitation you get in the mail and it feels good to be invited to something like that because that person wants you to be there. They want you, they want you to be a part of what's going on in their life. But then on the other hand, you have, um, you know, sometimes maybe you experience this where you're at home, it's a Friday night, it's like eight o'clock and you're like, well, it's too late to really plan anything. So you're on Facebook and Instagram and you're scrolling through and you're like, wait a minute, those are my friends and they're all doing something and I'm not with them. And you kind of feel like you missed out on something like, why didn't I get the invite, right? That feels terrible. And so you just continue looking at Netflix and that's your night, right? So you, you have the feeling of being involved or you have the feeling of like, man, I wasn't invited. That's kind of a bummer. So for me, the invitation, so I was in high school and um, I went to Athens Drive High School and one of the biggest nights of the year was called Grad Man. And what Grad Man was, was they took all the senior dudes, the superlatives, so like cutest guy, best hair, funniest, most athletic, that kind of stuff. And they would, they would vote on that. And the winner of each category participated in a big old talent show at the end of the year. And it was like the biggest night of the year at Athens. And so me um, being such a funny guy and such a popular guy came in second in two categories. And uh, you know what they say about second? It's the first loser, right? So I was the first loser in two categories. And um, I was so bummed because I missed out on that night. I wanted so badly to be a part of grad man at Athens Drive High School and I missed out and I was bummed and I did not get the invite into that, into that event. On the other hand, when I was um, kind of in between colleges, I got invited by a buddy of mine to go out to California and play the drums at a camp. And it was a 10-week camp, and uh, it, was a, it was for high school and middle school students. And so for me, that invitation was unbelievable because one of my greatest passions is playing the drums. And so to be able to just focus on that for 10 weeks in a summer, and then, oh, you get to hang out with students, and oh, by the way, we're gonna pay you to do it. Um, that was pretty awesome to me. So that invitation to be a part of life change in the lives of students, this was before I really went to Bible college and, and got involved in ministry in this way. That was huge for me. That was such an awesome invitation. That was, uh, I found great joy in being a part of that. And so you have being left out or you have an invitation to be involved in it. So um, God is calling us all to something big. He's on a mission and he wants us to be a part of it. So the mission of God is what we're gonna talk about here briefly because that's what he wants us to be a part of. So there's gonna be a quote up on the screen here and I'm gonna read it to you guys and then I'm gonna read it again because it's a little bit to chew on. But here, Christopher Wright, who's a leading expert in this area of um, the mission of God, here's what he says. He says, the mission of God is the commitment of God to make himself known to his creation, ultimately for the purpose of redeeming and restoring all creation to its right relationship with God. Here it is again. The mission of God is the commitment of God to make himself known to his creation, ultimately for the purpose of redeeming and restoring all creation to its rightful relationship with God. So that is kind of the mission. But to truly understand that, I think we need to go back to the beginning and understand why God is on this mission, right? We know in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created. So what did God create? 
He created everything, right? Plants, animals, water, uh, the earth, sun, moon, stars, and humanity. He, he created all of these things. Why did he create it? He created it first and foremost so that his glory would shine through it all. And secondly, he created it because he wanted a relationship with man. And so God creates and he has fellowship with man. He walks with them and he talks with them. And that, as we look at it, is Eden. That is beautiful Perfection. That's how God intended it to be when he created. But then we know that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And um, through that disobedience, now there is a curse on all of humanity. And so all of us that are born today, then, and will ever be born apart from Jesus Christ are born into sin. And so we're born into separation. Because of the disobedience in the garden, there's separation. We are now born into that separation. And the only way to get back into relationship with God is through relationship with Christ. So Jesus Jesus comes, dies on the cross on our behalf, takes that separation, that death that we deserve on himself. In one moment, he obliterates sin, right? And then three days later, he, he raises back to life and he obliterates death. And now because of that sacrifice, because of what he did on the cross, we have access back into that relationship with the father. But for us, that's not the final moment because what the final moment is for us to enter into that relationship, there's one thing to have access, but we need to, as Romans 10, nine says, we need to believe in Jesus to have that, right? Jesus made it final, but in order for us to have it, we have to accept that gift. We have to believe that Jesus died and, and was raised again on the third day. And then we have that eternal life. So now we have the relationship that we were originally intended to have, right? And that's how God works all the way, um, well, from Christ on up. But then before Christ, you had him working through the sacrificial system. And he was always had a plan of redemption to bring his people back into a right relationship with him. And so that's where we stand today. So the mission of God is one of redemption. It's one of him wanting to bring every single person that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He wants it for everybody, right? Everyone. So that plan of redemption is his great mission. And that's what he's inviting us into. The mission of God is one of redemption. That's it in a nutshell. So the first and most important invitation is him calling you back into that relationship. That's the big invitation uh, in our lives. But then once we accept Christ and become a follower of him, then he is inviting us to be a part of his mission for redemption for everybody else, okay? So um, by the way, when you become a Christian, uh, this invitation is not optional. Like, you, you have to make a decision. You have to have a response to that invitation. And so we're gonna look at this morning three responses uh, that you can have. And, and again, this is, everybody's going to have one of these responses. There's no exceptions. Everyone's going to fall into one of these categories. So um, grab your Bible and we're gonna take a look at a missionary this morning named Jonah. And you guys might know the story of Jonah and the fish. And we're gonna um, just kind of summarize that part, but we're gonna look at a few invitations that God gave to Jonah and see how Jonah responded to those invitations as God is calling us into his plan of redemption. So um, over in Jonah, in chapter one, we're gonna have the first great invitation from God to Jonah. Here's what it says in verse one of Jonah chapter one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So here's the first invitation. Here's what God said. He's like, hey, Jonah, I need you to get up. I need you to go to Nineveh and I need you to tell them how wicked they are. Okay, that's the invitation. 
be a part of my plan, be a part of my mission, go and tell them how evil they are. Now, um, I think a lot of times Jonah gets a bad rap because of his response of how he runs from God. But I wanna give you some context to this invitation so you guys can get a little picture, maybe a better picture of why Jonah would run, all right? So Nineveh, the place was the um, capital of the Assyrian Empire, which at that time was one of the biggest and most powerful empires. So it was the capital of that empire. The prophet Nahum in his um, book, that's just um, a couple later, uh, talks about the state of Nineveh. And here's what he says. He said, it's a bloody city. It's full of lies and plunder. There's no end to their prey. So the Ninevites are predators. They're going after people. Um, they have charging horsemen and flashing swords and glittering spears. And oh, get this also, they have piles of dead bodies lighting the streets. Right, So much so, he says, that you can barely even walk down the road because there's so many piles of dead bodies everywhere. I mean, can you like picture Jonah like as he walks into Nineveh, you know, if he were to go and he's like walking and he's, he's checking out the city and he's kind of looking at the walls and he's like, oh, sorry, oh. You know, and then he like turns around and there's like bodies and like bodies and there's just like all these piles of bodies. And this is the reputation that Nineveh has as a city. It's a, it's a terrible, wicked place. Not only that, but it's a great city, as it says. So the walls around Nineveh are a hundred feet tall. They're wide enough at the top for three chariots to go side by side around the walls. The city is, would take three days to walk through. That's how big the city is. So it's a great, huge, enormous city that God is calling him to. Um, this is a um, depraved place. And not only that, but it is uh, the most despised and hated people of that time. So because of their reputation, because of the wickedness that precedes them, um, you know, by, by word of mouth, by what people experience, nobody wants to go there. They're, they're just wicked. People hate them. People despise them. They look down on them. To put that in perspective to our day, because it's easy, I think, to look at the Old Testament and be like, oh, that's the Old Testament. There's a lot of evil, weird things that happened back then. So uh, we can't really relate. But let's think about if Jonah was alive like during World War II and Jonah was a, a Jewish man living in New York City and God's like, hey, like during the war, why don't you go to uh, Germany and go stand out in the middle of the capital and tell all those Nazis that they're a bunch of evil people, right? That's kind of what God's asking Jonah to do. Like go to these wicked people that are just murdering people in mass amounts and stand up and tell them that they're wicked. I mean, that's crazy. That sounds like a crazy request. Can you kind of start a picture like why Jonah's a little hesitant on going to Nineveh? Um, so here's what he does. So that's the invitation. Check out his response. In verse three, it says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So here you find in his response, the first um, great response we're gonna talk about, and we'll have that up here. And that is to have a wrong attitude and a wrong action, right? A wrong attitude, and a wrong action. If you think of Nineveh in comparison, um, in, in relation to Tarshish, so Nineveh is kind of inland a little bit in the Israel-Syria area today. And then uh, to get to Tarshish, you'd have to go out on the Mediterranean Sea and you'd have to go across the coast of Africa and you'd have to go past Italy. And then Tarshish is actually on the coast of Spain. So you can see kind of the expanse there that's in between the two cities. So he's not just going like a little bit away. He's going as far as he possibly can in the other direction to get away. Um, and of course, if you know the story, God creates a fierce storm. He gets thrown overboard, eaten by a fish. And three days later, he spit out of the fish onto the Sure, and that is a consequence, or is it God getting his attention? Whatever it is, we see the first response as being a wrong attitude and a wrong action. 
Do you ever find yourself in that boat? Pun intended. You can laugh a little bit. In the boat. Get it? Okay. Um, do you ever find yourself in that position, in that situation where, um, you know, it, it makes sense that God's calling you to something that you're a little bit iffy about, right? There's fear, there's hesitation. It could seem maybe overwhelming what God's calling you to do. Um, you know, maybe God's like, hey, um, that guy that's sitting next to you at work who's telling you all about how his marriage is falling apart and you're like, oh, bummer, dude. I hope it gets better. You know, like you don't want to want to talk to him or whatever. Or maybe it's like the other night at the block party and a transvestite shows up and, um, you know, you want to turn your back. Like, that's weird. He's different. I don't want to talk to that guy. I'll talk to anybody but him because uh, I don't know if, you know, I really want to, but God's pushing you in that direction. Or maybe it's the girl who sits next to you at lunch, students in, in school and, or sits at a table, you know, somewhere over here and she's all by herself every single day. And God's saying, go talk to her, go reach out to her, go show her the love of Christ. And you're like, oh, I'm going to stay here with my friends and eat my sandwich, you know, and you ignore the calling of God to go do something. Uh, maybe it's the kid on your team, or maybe it's your neighbor, or maybe it's the barista at Starbucks. And God's saying, listen, go talk to that person. Go and make conversation, get to know them, share my love with them. But instead, unfortunately, more often than not, we turn our backs and we go the other way. And so as Jonah had the wrong attitude and the wrong action, we many times have the same exact response. I've shared this story before about my, my buddy Jeff, who a few years back passed away of a drug overdose. And I never once in high school shared the gospel with him or told him about Jesus. Uh, over and over, God was pushing me, you know, bring him to church or, or act differently or talk to him. And I never once did that. And now it's too late. I can't share Jesus with him anymore because he's gone. And so we turn our backs when God is inviting us into something big like that. And that unfortunately is our first response and more often than not the one that we have. Wrong attitude, wrong action. There's also a second response that we see in Jonah chapter three. We see um, a second invitation. So check out chapter three. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So here's something we can learn just briefly from that, that God never gives up on us. God will call us and invite us over and over and over, no matter how many times we run from him, he will relentlessly, as we sang in the song, relentlessly pursue us and relentlessly come after, after us time and time again. He will never give up. So he'll always give us more opportunities to be a part of his mission. Um, so, so God calls Jonah again and uh, check out the message that he wants him to, to deliver, all right? Uh, Jonah arose, here's his response. He goes, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this is not a, a message of salvation that he's carrying to the Ninevites. This is a message of judgment. And so he's very happy to carry this message, right? He wants to go and be like, hey, guess what? In 40 days, you're all gonna die. And it's gonna be awesome. Like he's, he's so excited to go take this message of destruction to these people. Why? Because they're wicked, they're evil. They have a reputation of being murderers and all these other things we see in Nahum. And so he wants to take this message. So finally he listens and we see the second response. We see that Jonah has a uh, wrong attitude, but a right action. We'll talk about the attitude here in a second. Um, so he has the wrong attitude and the right action. 
Maybe you're sitting here thinking though, like, okay, we can't really relate to that. We can't relate to wanting to see death and destruction of a whole people group, right? I mean, that would be absurd. As a Christian, I wanna see people get saved, right? Well, let me ask you a question that pierced my heart as I was thinking about it, but when's the last time that you sat down and prayed that God would infiltrate and radically revolutionize ISIS? Because so many times we look at them and we're like, God, just rain down hellfire on them and wipe them off the face of the earth because they're nothing but bad. But when's the last time we've prayed that God would get in the midst of their camps, in the midst of their people and create a revolution and they would be saved? When's the last time we prayed for that? So I think a lot of times we can relate to Jonah's attitude and looking at them and going death and destruction to them all. They're evil. Get them out of here, right? So check out his response um, in, uh, well, first of all, there's a great revival that takes place. Uh, the king catches wind of this judgment and he issues a decree that says, look, everybody, ashes, sit in ashes, put sackcloth on and fast, fast and pray to God that he's not gonna rain down his judgment on us. Pray that he turns from his, his, um, his purpose of destroying us and that we would see revival and that we would be able to turn to God and pray for that and fast and pray and fast and pray. And they do and God creates revival and they start turning to him left and right. Uh, even so much so that um, scholars believe that this is one of the greatest revivals to ever take place in the history of our world. Why? Because one, the, the wickedness of the people as a whole. Two, because of the size of the city and the amount of people that live there. We see that there was over 120,000 infants there, which means if you do the quick math on that, you double some parents and you add some families in there or whatever. And there's a lot of people that live there. But the fact that God used one man to create a revival in that moment is unbelievable that all, like almost the whole entire city turned to God. That's crazy. And so this crazy revival happens on account of what Jonah brings to them. Uh, but here's the thing. Notice Jonah's response in, uh, in chapter four. This is, this is so crazy to me. Um, verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So he sees the revival taking place and he gets mad about it. He's like, I can't believe, I'm here preaching judgment. I'm like telling them death and destruction to you all. And God's saying, ah, I changed my mind. I'm gonna go ahead and let them be saved and have a relationship with me. So Jonah walks up to the side of this mountain and he literally is just sitting there pouting. Like he's sitting under this little makeshift shelter and he's just like, you know, you can like imagine him sitting there. Like don't, you know, nothing to do with God. It's like looking around and he sits there and he's like thinking, maybe God will still rain down death and destruction. So he's sitting there facing the city, watching, hoping that it's gonna be destroyed. You know, you can picture like some thunderstar troll and he's like, oh, oh. like lightning. Oh. And he's disappointed because he wants destruction, uh, but it never happens. And so he's sitting there and he, he had a right action, but he had a wrong attitude. And I think we can relate to this a lot as well. Think about kids when we ask them to do something, right? Take the trash out, make your bed, do the dishes. And maybe it takes a couple time to, times to get them to do it. Um, and they do it, but the attitude's not always there, right? They're like, stupid, I can't believe you. Like, Would you say nothing? I love you, mom. Can't believe you taking the trash out, you know, like kicking their feet and they're doing it with a terrible attitude. Or you even see, um, you know, Jesus and the Pharisees. I mean, they are a perfect example of outward action that was good and supposedly righteous, but inwardly their hearts were really messed up. And so uh, we can relate that way as well. A lot of times we do things, but our heart's not in the right place. Let me give you an example. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I had the opportunity to go to St. Lucia. So like a lot of the students that are able to go on these trips, I was able to go to St. Lucia and, um, 
my heart was not there. I mean, I was, to say the least, a hypocrite, um, to put it nicely, in high school, um, acted one way on Sundays, would act a completely different way during the week. And so my heart was not right to go on a mission trip. Um, but nonetheless, God allowed me to go. And, um, you know, Bahamas, yes, cute girls, okay. My friends are going, all right. Like, all those reasons were cool to me. So I'm going to St. Lucia, you know, I was like really excited about it. And uh, while I was there, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I could almost picture the row that I was sitting in in this little school room as I sat with a little boy and explained the gospel to him and led him to Christ, um, which in and of itself, because of where I was spiritually is a, is a testament to God's power. Um, but the story just gets pretty crazy because um, a couple days later, you know, he comes up, there was evidence of his life change because a few days later he comes up to me and he says, hey, do you remember me? And for a second, I can remember going, uh, because again, my heart's not in the right place. I'm not totally like, you know, um, you're a boy that, did I, did I hit you with a soccer ball or, uh, you know, and he said, this, these were his words to me. He said, you changed me. And I'm like, oh, I mean, yeah, now I remember you, you know, and that, I'm telling you, that will, that'll stick with me until the day that I die. Those words that he spoke to me, you changed me. Why? Because my heart was not in the right place, but God used me to change that boy's life. But it gets way better, okay? So years later, I don't even remember what year it was. It was like seven years later. My brother's sitting in the back. How many is that, eight? Oh, eight. So nine years later. My brother went to St. Lucia. My brother's back there. He runs the sound. Say, hey, Evan. He looks just like me. Hey, all right. Um, so it's easy to see, like, if you see our resemblance, my brother went there nine, oh, man. Nine years later, and this boy recognized my brother as my brother, because we look alike, and he remembered the conversation that we had and talked to my brother about me. I mean, how unbelievable is that? Nine years later, and he remembers the life change that happened because of the conversation that I had with him. So can God use someone whose heart is not in the right place? Absolutely, he can. But here's the thing about that. When our heart is not in the right place, but we're still doing things for God, we miss out on the most incredible joy that we could ever experience that God wants to give to us for doing things with the right motives and the right attitudes. Listen to a few verses that just, that just speak to that and emphasize that. Um, so you have uh, Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Uh, we know that joy is a fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. John 16, 24 says, until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive, why? So your joy may be full. So we see God wanting us to do things so that our joy is overflowing, so that our joy is full. He wants that for us. He wants us to be overwhelmed by the joy that comes from doing ministry for him and jumping on board with his mission and reaching people and seeing redemption happen in their lives. So the joy that comes with that is is, is something you can't really put into words, but when you experience it, it's like nothing else you've ever experienced before. And that's what God wants for us. And that brings us to the third and final response that we can have. And that's to have a right attitude and a right action. Um, now, you don't, unfortunately, we don't see that in Jonah's life because we just end with him kind of pouting under a tree um, or under the shelter that he made. Uh, but I wanna share a story with you with how, how we saw this played out in Haiti, how when the students grasped having a right attitude and right action, how they felt the joy from that. So you might've seen this in a video actually, but one of the things that we challenged our students to do one day was um, we, we painted houses for a few families and we finished early afternoon and we had about an hour to spare. So we, we challenged the students with this. Listen, up to this point, 
We've had a lot of ministry with kids. We've played well with them. You've loved on them well. And we're so happy and that's so important. And we're so excited for relationships that you're building. But here's what we want you to do. We want you to get in groups with, with each other, right? And go find some older folks, teenagers, young adults, um, older adults to go and sit down and be intentional with a gospel conversation. Have a conversation, find out about their life and use that as a bridge to the gospel. So that was our challenge, right? Be intentional, go and be a part of God's mission in this way. And so myself and a few of our leaders had a chance to go into a home and pray over a woman who had shingles. And we were in there for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And when we came out, gosh, here we go again, man. I haven't gotten it out, so it's like coming. Um, we came out and down the dirt road was one of the most beautiful pictures I'll ever see. And it's pods of our students just lining this dirt road, sharing the gospel with people. And they took the challenge that we offered up. They, they believed that it was what God wanted them to do, that it was gonna be a part of a greater good. And they took that and ran with it. And let me tell you what, that night there were so many stories of how God used that time, how God used the students to, to minister, to share the gospel, prayers that they, that they were able to pray over these people, the, the conversations, the questions, and the joy, the, the overwhelming joy that they felt from having sat down for an hour with someone and brought them into a, a uh, close understanding, planting seeds. Maybe it was a complete understanding of the gospel. Uh, the joy that they felt, I mean, it was overwhelming. There were tears that were flowing because of conversations that they had and how they were able to love on people. And so just for that short week, they experienced the, the joy that comes with doing ministry. I think that's probably why it was so hard for us to leave because it was such a, a, joyous, a joyous time for us as a group to just see God work in and through us. And we didn't wanna leave those people. We wanted to continue to be overwhelmed by, by joy, by brokenness, by love for those people. But in that moment, they took the challenge and they rose to it and they realized what that can look like by having a right attitude and right action. They did it with a pure motive. They did it with the intention on leading someone to the gospel. And it was amazing to witness that. So, um, that is something that we hope to be as a church to have the right attitude and the right action. Um, so we told the students, uh, just to kind of wrap, we told the students that, um, you know, there's nothing like living out the great commission of Jesus. And let me tell you, there's nothing like it. When he says to go to make disciples and to baptize them and you actually go and do that, there is nothing like living right alongside the mission of God and walking in step with him and doing that. Um, it can start in Haiti, Kenya, East Asia, Spain, uh, it comes right here to the US, North Carolina and right into your backyard. That is where your mission starts. In fact, when you step outside of your door, in fact, when you are inside of your house and you're online doing things the way you represent yourself, that is where you begin to live out that mission. When God invites you in, how you represent yourself online, when you step out of that door, when you talk to your neighbor, when you're going to the store, when you're dropping kids off at, at school or whatever, and you're interacting with people, your mission field is right here in your backyard. And God is calling you more often than not in most of our lives, your mission field is here not somewhere far away. And so while we can talk about how awesome the mission trips are and, and going somewhere, God wants us all to have these experiences right here, right now in our lives and be able to tell stories of how God, we saw God in the little things throughout our day, how we were able to, to meet a stranger and have a great conversation, how we we're able to reach out to someone else within our church family and get closer to them and do ministry and serve with them. Perfect example, serve your city. You heard about that from Brian a little bit in the, in the body lifetime, the, the projects that we were involved in, how we were able to, as a church, go out and love people and serve people and show them who Jesus was and is and is to come through our actions. That's an amazing thing to do. So here's my question to you uh, this morning as we wrap. And um, if students, if you guys wanna start coming out and getting in positions, um, here's my question to you. Um, how will you respond to the invitation? Because it's there. 
God's calling you to be a part of his great mission, to be a part of something big. So how are you gonna respond? Are you one, going to run the other way and continue to ignore his, his prodding and his pulling you into his mission and say, you know what, God, I don't think I wanna do that. I'm comfortable being a Christian, but I don't wanna go above and beyond what I need to. I'm just gonna sit in my home, not really talk to anybody. And when you push me in a direction, I'm gonna turn the other way. Or will you kind of jump in half-heartedly and say, you know what, I'll do it, but I don't really want to. And as you're doing it, you're like, Shovel and mulch is terrible. This is the worst sweating, like, yay, points, brownie points for Jesus, but this is, you know, and like your attitude is terrible. Or the third and final response that we wanna see in everybody is to, to jump in wholeheartedly, to have a, a response of like pure joy and motivation because you understand the gospel and you understand what Jesus did for you. And so that overflows into your life and how you act towards people. So I wanna leave you with, uh, with two, two quotes. All right, um, the first one says this, and this is just as a church. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission. So we wanna be a church where serve your city isn't something that we have to plan every year, but it's something that's just happening all throughout the year. Like, you know, it, how great would it be if we didn't have to be like, all right, this week for the year, we're gonna go serve people. But it was like, we don't have to do that necessarily because it's just happening all the time. How great would it be to be a church that's known for just serving all the time? That's what, that's what made Northwest Northwest. We're a church that serves and loves on people year round. We don't have to set specific dates, but this is just something that, that we do. And here's the final quote I wanna leave you with because this is really um, just kind of a challenge to me and to all of us, I think, thinking about God's story and being a part of that story of redemption is um, that we need to be a part of God's story and if we're not a part of his story, a part of his mission, then we need to ask ourselves whose mission that we're on. Because if we're not on God's mission, we're on our own mission. We have our own agenda and that's selfish and there's consequence um, as we see in Jonah's life. And so we wanna make sure that we are in step with God and we are on, on the same page as him and living out his mission because that's the best mission you could ever be a part of, amen? Yeah, so let me, uh, let me pray for us. We got one more song for you guys and then... Um, We'll dismiss. So God, thanks for this morning and thank you for your word and how we can take um, weeks like we saw in the students this summer and really apply them to our lives, how we live this out every day. And um, God, I pray that this would be a little challenging and maybe we would reflect on the responses in our own lives and uh, what you want from us, but not necessarily what you get from us. So uh, God, move us in a direction that is um, just so in line with you that when we act, when we say, when we post, uh, people only see you in us. And that would be a great place to be, God. So just challenge us, move us in that direction. We love you. Thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your son that died on the cross so we could have a relationship with you. And thank you for your spirit that just helps us to live every single day of our lives. Uh, in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen.